0: Hello and welcome to the Veer Vulnerability Fear podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperado. And we help men communicate and build empathy. Albert, it's beautiful to see you today. You are beyond chipper. And I think it's because <laughs> of all the beautiful weather we're having and a little bit more back into to real life. I don't know about you, but I've just, I don't know I felt the, the transition. I'm not sure if you have yet, but um, there's definitely a, a new vibrance to Western PA out here. How's it over in New York?
1: I think I'm having a little bit of a beyond the usual, uh, you know, schizophrenic kind of a lifestyle. Um, <laughs> We're up at the house and up in Columbia County, Hudson Valley. You know, there is built in social distancing. You live apart, further apart from your neighbors. And there's not, you know, when, when people talk about crowds up here, you're talking about five people show up at the movie instead of two. So it's very different um, up here and and you didn't feel the impact of it as much as in the city, but at the same uh, token, I mean, it was, you know, you, you, you recognize it. you went to the supermarket, people, people had masks on, they didn't talk as much, et cetera. But, um, you know, I've been out up in the country for 10 weeks now and, you know, we had been coming here for 20 years and, uh, you know. So 10 weeks here really makes me feel like, wow, I actually live here now. We used to come every single weekend, but now I'm here 10 straight weeks. So I'm getting more into the rhythm of the lifestyle up here. And I'm liking, you know, it's quiet and it's, you have space. Um, But yesterday we drove into the city. I had to go to my office, pick up uh, checks and paperwork and go to my apartment and make sure everything was okay. And, you know, New York City was, was super quiet. You know, my business is there. And, you know, it was, a, it, you know, going to my office and seeing that, that logo on my front door of my business that built, took me 20 years to build that business. And we don't know what the, what next season looks like. The music industry's really reeling from this. Uh, we don't know uh, if concert halls and opera houses are going to open. And that's just a reality. Um, you know, the, the, my profession is all about large groups of people getting together in an intimate space, which is the opposite of what, this virus is sort of uh, requiring from us to deal with. So like I said, I'm having a little bit of a schizophrenic, a schizophrenic life right now where up in the country with this dazzling Hudson Valley green and these stunning blue skies, you just feel like you could not be happier, uh, but realizing like my livelihood and my company and my future is kind of in doubt. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm learning how to just deal with the uncertainty. This is not an easy one for me. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of like proud of myself. I'm like getting out of bed and being like, I could deal with this. I'll deal with it. We'll see what happens. So I'm glad things are coming alive, uh, out there in, in Western Pennsylvania. And, and all we pray is as you guys get back into full force and, you know, eventually New York gets into full force, that's, that somehow the worst excesses of this virus, the, the rapid growth will be curbed. And we can sort of get get used to being, hey, more cautious, wearing masks, not being as close until they figure out like how to permanently,
0: you know, God God willing, uh, give us a virus or treatment. Yeah, I totally agree. Because like, man, what's what's next? We're all kind of like grabbing at it. We're just like, what are the possibilities? What are the potential situations? Because like you said, potential livelihoods are in question. Um. Whenever this episode airs, I'll actually be back at work and you know, kind of going back to the to my swing of things. so and the complete opposite of you, I have not been waking up early and doing things. I have totally been enjoying the the sleeping in and, you know, playing with my son and taking a very relaxed approach to life. um and you know i there's pros and cons to that. You know, I've definitely felt a l- little bit less productive, but I felt so much more like richness, I would say, in my day to day life. Just you know, being with my son and being with my wife and my mother in law, and just going outside and just walking around the block and seeing my neighbors and other kids. Just it kind of gets it going.
1: <laughs> it's funny that you said that because just this morning, going through my my Instagram feed and seeing posts, more there was a lot more of people talking about the unexpected a positive experience that they're having of more time with family and friends, uh, well, family at least. And, um, the benefits of, of slowing down. And, you know, I say the same thing over and over again, humanity does not, should not require a pandemic to figure out what's important. You're supposed to figure that out by not obsessing about yourself and paying attention to others. But maybe that's too much to ask for. So every once in a while, we have to have a massive pandemic to kill everybody so that we could appreciate we're supposed to live for you. Okay, I'm going off on a tangent. But anyway, <laughs> one of the reasons I'm, it relates a little bit to our guest today, Cal Geary, who you know, I've been doing my feed now almost three years. And Cal is someone that I met uh, almost immediately online. Um, and And he's a great guy. He's just a fun, warm guy. One of those guys that like everybody on in our denim community just likes. He's just a very likable human being. But the reason, original reason, I wanted to invite him on the show, Adam. First of all, I know he's a, he's a, he's a young dad, and I know you guys would connect on the young dad thing. But I'm just thinking with this with with COVID that these really elemental rites of passage moments of people's lives, weddings, uh, having. Uh, you know funerals got you know sad as it can be uh to mention um people giving birth things that are so like part of the everyday human experience of like the 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 rites of passage interrupted by the virus and i just thought for for cal i was thinking um what would it be like you've given birth and you can't just take your baby around to all your friends and, you know, like, I, I'm, I was just curious about that. So we're gonna introduce Cal, but that was part of the impetus, was like that idea of, of ex- experiencing a life milestone at the time of this pandemic. That was the initial thought, thinking
0: that, uh, you know, why I, I wanted to hear from Cal on that issue. Totally, well, let me give him the official introduction and we'll go ahead and chat. Cahal Calgary was born in Country Cork, Ireland, and is the youngest of six kids. Besides a brief spell in Chicago, he spent most of his life in his home city before moving to Germany at the age of 27. After finishing his qualification to teach English as a foreign language, a strong music community in his hometown aspired his love for his love affair with folk and rock music and culture, which in turn led him discover more of his favorite hobbies, including reading, photography, and clothing. He lives in Freiburg, Germany with his wife and two-month-old son. Cow, it's a pleasure to have you on here, Welcome! Hey, guys. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks very much for the kind man. words. Thank you for making the time, you know, all the way across the pond. <laughs> we love our international yeah. guests.
2: <laughs> sure. Yeah, no problem at all. It's uh, about just after five in the evening here. So, yeah, a nice uh, convenient time for me.
1: <laughs> so could you t- pronounce your first name? Because I've seen it. You're, you're, you know, I call you Cal, but tell us your first name. And is it, is it a common Irish name?
2: Uh, it's not. It's Cahal. Cahal. But nobody can pronounce it, right? And that's why I uh, don't have it on my Instagram or any social media, actually, Um, because you always get the question then, uh, how do you pronounce it? And if you're uh, talking to people... uh, obviously moving to Germany for example and I tell people my name is Kahal, and it's well, how do you even write that and then they get more confused because it's C-A-T-H-A-L and they say what happened to the T in the middle of that and uh yeah you end up you know it's it's a funny conversation starter yeah because you spend 10 minutes explaining you know the name but um other than that, I keep it I try and keep it short because most people here as well in Germany call me Carl and uh
1: Oh, so in Germany, you're more of a Carl, because I've called you Cal, maybe because I went yeah. to school in California, so Cal just sounded
0: like, oh, that's
2: cool. Yeah, it's, it's short and sweet, and it's, uh, yeah, it's not too bad.
0: <laughs> Luckily, I met a Cajal last year, so I nailed it first try. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, the funny thing is the first time I, I met one guy, I knew one guy in school whose name was Kahal, and the first time I really met anyone else with the name was here in Freiburg, and now he's a best friend of mine, actually. He moved here as well a few years after I did, and uh, and I couldn't believe I saw it. It was an email from him. He was looking for an apartment here in in Germany, in Freiburg, and we had a room free, and uh, I saw an email from this Kahal guy, and I thought, what? What what are the chances of that happening? And (laughs) I was like, this is great, you know? first friend and uh, my uh, flatmate at the time is a French girl and she was like well you're gonna be speaking English all night, so uh, no how about we get a German person instead so we could practice our German I'm Like, yeah, okay so I had to reject him for the room but we're best friends now
0: <laughs> that's great man
2: it was the three amigos now there's the two
1: cajals. <laughs> Um tell yeah. me could, could you tell me just a little bit about uh, County Cork Ireland that's a, a, a town or is that a region or tell us about County Cork. What, what, what was it like growing up there?
2: It is, it's, it's similar to, uh, to fiber actually. It's got about 300,000 um, people. It's the biggest county in, in Ireland, um, but the second biggest city. Um, it's got a really, it's got a good, it's the typical second city. I would say it's got, you know, kind of slightly alternative to the capital Dublin and, um, it's got a rich culture, a lot of music, um, a lot of uh, playwrights and authors. And that's, you know, for me, that's just inherited in the Irish culture anyway. Um, in school, you learn a lot about Irish uh, poets and musicians as well. So for us growing up, that's just, just part of, of life, really, you know. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's a, but it's a cool city. Um, I do miss it a little bit time time, especially regarding culture there are a lot of concerts a lot of bands come through there because they go to the uk and then they do dublin and cork as well um so it's a uh, it's but where i grew up is outside the city in a small town and um just you know your classic small town uh small town mentality with your few uh few uh, musicians hanging around like we did in our town thankfully the good community there uh, but other than that you know you've got your farmers and your uh, metalheads mixing in school and you know it got this kind of cauldron of uh, personalities which Wh- uh,
1: which category did you lean towards the farmer or the metalhead
2: <laughs> i was in the i was firmly in the mus- the music head group yeah obviously from like when where I started high school, um, because I went to all boys' schools. You know, from from day one, from the age of five, I've only ever been to all boys' schools, all Catholic schools. So, uh, because we were Catholic, I mean, everyone, (laughs) at that point in time, everyone uh, was going to Catholic schools, except the very few who weren't Catholic in Ireland. Um, So, um, yeah, when I went into secondary school, I immediately knew I wanted to, I think it was one week, and uh, I got to know two other guys and we were going to start a band and, uh, that happened really, really fast. And, uh, people thought we were crazy and they thought we were really, uh, they thought we thought we were cool cause we were going to start a band, you know, uh, which is weird. But thinking back that was, you know, to give you a picture of the mentality, you know, of, uh, of what it was like. And, um, but yeah, so from there I just met a few other people and, um, we just had this group, but kind of a motley crew, to be perfectly honest, a very much crazy motley crew of friends, which I still have and I'm grateful for.
1: Well, it's great to still be in touch with with your old friends. I mean, that's that's a great, uh, just a great thing to have in your life. Um, you were the youngest of six. Now, that had to be so easy on your on your parents, on each other. There couldn't have been any possible potential conflicts of having six kids.
2: So easy. Easy as pie, right? (laughs) So easy as pie, especially with me. (laughs) now. uh, (laughs) So you you were the young you you were the youngest. I was the youngest. I came I I was I was an emergency C section like my son, actually. Funnily enough. And uh yeah, so I was uh, when yeah, my my mother was uh two years younger than I am now, and she had her sixth child, which is Crazy! It's unimaginable for me to think that I would now have six children. Um, But um, yeah, being the youngest has its advantages, obviously, and also disadvantages. Um, In Ireland, you know, maybe you're familiar. A lot of people, families are are large families—five, six, seven, eight. I know the vast majority of uh, my friends all come from big families. Uh, It's very different here. For example, in Germany, the average is two or three um or four maybe at a max but um growing up in ireland like that and our house it was you know like the group of friends it was a crazy house so it was like people coming and going and the The neighbors were around the neighbor's kids were around it was like an open house in, in the in our area basically which was cool um but um a lot yeah we we as you say we had like <laughs> with five older brothers and sisters and so many different personalities, also. I mean, just uh, crazy, really, when I think about it. We always laugh now. But when you think back to the disagreements, let's call them that, um, that happened, I mean, it's, it's crazy. You know, I don't know how my mother still has a nerve left, to be perfectly honest. She is a saint.
1: Not to be a two, two person, your parents stayed together the whole time and they're together?
2: Yeah exactly they're still together my dad is a truck driver so uh, he was gone from mornings to to evenings you know monday to friday sometimes even saturdays uh, he was gone really early came back late so my mom was left with six kids i mean she had to do two school runs you know she would fill the car drive into the town drop off the first load and come back for the one or two left over and um you know that kind of thing and preparing you know lunches for everyone uh trying to get she, into the bathroom. She bathrooms. was a superwoman. She, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, yeah I mean it sounds like it. Yeah, it's <laughs> like said, it's unimaginable now for us, you know. You think how, you know what, Adam, as well, when you your whole world changes when you have a child and you oh, think, oh, how am I going to get my washing done today? And uh, with one child, you know, you're already thinking, ooh, the days are short now, you know? So I have to
1: ask you, um, as a the youngest, what do you think is your personality trait as an adult
2: most influenced by being the youngest? I think because of my experiences at home, I'm very non-confrontational. I've always probably more avoided it. And that's probably as a result directly of the uh, disagreements uh, at home. Um, So I think it's maybe a bit more also maybe relaxed, you know, where some people get bothered by small things or see small problems or see problems for me it's you know you feel like you've experienced uh, a lot more uh, in some ways where you just think no, it's not a problem uh, you know you, you you don't you kind of you've you know bigger problems so it doesn't tend to bother you as much um like i said we we you know brothers used to fight like crazy or my sisters used to fight like crazy. Um, it was like things thrown, issues were broken, uh, it was mad, it was a madhouse, but it was now we can laugh about it, uh, thankfully, and we, and we do usually, but uh, I think for my mom, it must have cost her quite a few nerves and my dad as well, uh, he, was, he was like the quiet kind of type, um always very patient, but, you know, and my mother as well, when they lost it, oh, that was an explosion then I mean that was that's yeah, you know when p- quiet people lose their cool eventually oh, yeah. it's it's a real show it's a oh, show yeah you know so yeah. so, so. Uh,
1: when did you actually um meet your the, the woman who became your wife did you actually meet in Ireland or were you in Germany traveling or tell us how Germany entered your life
2: when I came back from Chicago, it was 2008, um, and actually my first choice was to go back. But it's so difficult to get a working visa in, for the US, actually. And um, you've got this lottery system and you know it's just luck. Um, but I knew I'd wanted to really to emigrate after spending a period abroad. Because I, I think I had in the back of my mind all the time that I wanted to get out of the small town culture a bit and get out of this kind of... Um, likely sometimes bitter mentality um and uh with the, i was 27 i decided okay uh, i'm going to train to be um an english teacher and um that was i think the end of 20, 2009 and uh so i just took this course and then moved uh, exactly 10 years ago actually to germany and uh, i had new i knew someone in freiburg so um so that was easy that part, I suppose, at first. Um I met my wife uh, six years ago.
1: Did, did you go to did you actually go to school in Ireland? You did. I okay. did, yeah.
2: Yeah. So all my education is in yeah, Ireland. So you yeah. wind
1: up in Freiburg, you meet your the woman you married, Heidi, who I met in New York when yeah. you visited. And oh my god, you we did. had so much you fun did. on the windiest winter day ever. Um so so I have to admit as someone I mean, I've lived overseas for school, but um I have to admit, I get really nervous at the idea of, you know, people make jokes like, uh, oh, you know, if America just keeps getting crazy, you're going to have to move. And I'm like, I don't want to move. I like, I like America and I like the Hudson Valley. But, you know, uh, you said that moving to Germany was kind of a, an intense experience. I mean, obviously, there was a language thing that you had to deal with. Tell, and and obviously, you were close, you, you, you know, very close with your family. Um, what, what were the challenges? What, how did you deal with that?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a very strange time because you're kind of leaving in the hope of something better, you know, as I say it was around the, around the time of the financial crisis, 2008, 2010 in Ireland, it was hit really hard. So it was a case of, okay, so moving somewhere else is, you know, can be a very positive thing, but obviously leaving behind that group of friends you've had from a very young age. And, you know, I played a lot of music, so all the musicians I knew, all that, everything I'd built up was just going to be completely put to the side um and in some ways you feel a bit selfish by doing it. Um you kind of feel like you know, people are like, oh, it's you know, it's a shame, but you know, of course, you know, it's good for you. When I didn't speak a word of German either. I mean, I had a few phrases um when I came and um I came over here and uh with the contact I had I uh, just tried to start um a new life. Um and started learning German, I think, like seven days after I arrived, I started a course and started applying for jobs and things. And, you know, I'd done my English education, uh, uh, teaching English as a foreign language course. And I'd applied to languages, schools and stuff. And um, that was, it was very intense. I even applied to be a bin man uh, when I arrived and uh, got rejected from that. That was a lot A what point.
1: man? Say that again? Um,
2: bin? Uh, a bin man. Well, oh, I don't
1: know what that is. I think it's like trash Oh, trash sorry, sanitation worker.
0: You know, waste management service. Okay. Yeah, well, I never is that I the never correct heard phrase? that
1: phrase. Good job, Adam. You've caught that one. Yeah. <laughs> Way to go, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I lived in the Netherlands for a little bit. You know? <laughs> wow. You're considering all yeah. options basically.
2: I I was taking anything that would uh, pay me for work, uh basically. Um, until I got my feet on the ground, which takes a while. I mean, there was a, just a lot of anxiety involved as well. Um, I remember when you first come, you have this kind of push of adrenaline and positivity, and everything is cool and new, and you feel like you're on holidays for quite a while, um, which was which was great. You know, and Freiburg is a beautiful city, you know. Um, but after a while, I, I just remember very specifically one day um, I was just in my apartment lying down. I just all of a sudden just got this huge panic attack, you know? I didn't know what was going on. And uh, I thought it. I actually thought I was dying. I was fully convinced I was going to die. I was just lying there going, oh crap, my whole my chest is going to explode, you know? My heart is going 90. And I was just sitting there shaking. It's like, you know, it took a good hour before it passed. Um, but I think it was the moment when I kind of maybe just a moment of where I felt completely uh, alone or kind of vulnerable. Um, and you feel like, OK, everything is really starting from zero. You know, it's not like you can go around the corner to your friend or go for a drink with your friends. Um it was, yeah, it was really intense. And they continued, actually, the panic attacks and anxiety I had for nearly the best part of a year, um, which was was difficult. Um, especially when you're trying to start a, a new life somewhere else and get to know people um it's uh you know you don't know who you know people don't always walk around with a sign saying you know I uh, you know I've experienced this or this is how I feel and you know when you're getting to know people you don't know how especially in a new culture um what it was to me at the time uh you don't know how open you could be with people you kind of had this thing you met some people and uh, and you didn't see them again at all, or some of the people you'd see every now and then, so you didn't know who your friends were, and that. So um, it was uh, really intense, but uh, I think it all worked out in the end. Did you emerge from
1: that from that uh, in small steps, or did some? Yeah. So it was more of a small step than oh, then I met Heidi and suddenly I had this company and
2: someone. I mean. It was small steps, yeah. It was it was baby steps. I think probably in a way, baby steps towards feeling more secure. I mean, these, these yeah, these building blocks of okay, I have friends now. I have a a job, a steady job, work now, um I have a nice apartment. I can you know uh, afford uh, a laptop, which I didn't have at the time. And I moved into a room, and I had uh, I had two bags, and that was it. The bed was in there, thankfully, because I didn't have a bed. I had nothing, and I had the two bags. And uh, thankfully, you know, this went from step by step up the ladder, so to speak. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, uh, how would you put it? A kick in the butt, <laughs> or you know, uh, a real grounding. You know, you're there with nothing, but at the same time, uh, it's only upwards.
1: Well, I'm really glad, I, and and you know very moved, honestly, that you're sharing that with us. You and I have like DM'd and, and talked through Instagram for three years and, you know, we're, I consider you a friend, but at the same time, we've never really had like one of these talks. So I was like, wow, th- it, it it goes to show that we, we, you know, we've, we zip on by really fast through life and don't know a lot of the little details of, of people's lives. And I'm, you know, sharing that with us is very powerful because it, it kind of underscores makes me feel a little bit more comfortable with my own feelings about comfort. You know, I get, you know, I, I especially when it involves languages, uh, when I travel, I want to be able to express myself. And sometimes I get very frustrated in a foreign language when I, when I'm trying to say something like from the heart, how do I possibly get in the words in German that I would say naturally to my friends in English? So I commend you. And, and how did your German skills come along? Did we, do, are you good at languages and you picked it up really well and you loved it or?
2: yeah i've always been i mean it's the same in school I learned French in school for six years and I was always fond of it. It was always actually one of my favorite um, language uh, topics subjects in school and so I was never afraid of learning and I was never afraid of trying to speak um, even if I only had very um, very little vocabulary it was i knew i knew because of my training through being a, an English teacher that the, the best way to do this was to go full on and just try and keep practicing. And I mean, it, it took a while, it took a few years to I got really comfortable um, with German. I mean, German, there's a saying, you know, life is too short to learn German. Is that a um, saying?
1: I've never heard that one
2: that's the saying yeah that's that's the yeah. first thing you 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 hear when you start learning german If someone sends you a picture you know from your from your german class of like you know this I mean, life's too short to learn german and it is difficult it's um, it's a difficult language but uh, i enjoy it i enjoyed it it was also a social a social aspect for me getting out into the classroom meeting other people i mean all my best friends now are i met in german class so there was that side of it it was just a way to meet people as well and now after 10 years in Germany I'm I would say fluent I wouldn't say my German is always perfect but it's it's I mean I'm fluent in it and I I work in it as well as English now and um, yeah I mean it's it's it is different, though, obviously. I mean, there are certain things when you're speaking constantly in a foreign language, you just kind of interpret things maybe differently or there's just these nuances that can um, throw you off. It just means it takes a little bit longer maybe for something to really sink in what's being said, um, even now. You know, there's the everyday things and the small phrases, but sometimes if you're in a meeting, for example, for a few hours, you're tired and you're thinking, oh, I Just you know, you're you're switching off, kind of maybe a little bit quicker. The fatigue sets in.
1: And so, where wh- when did when did you meet uh, Heidi? How did that happen?
2: So we met in, in the Irish bar. a Very cliche meeting. You know, being an Irish man in an Irish bar Imagine is you that. know <laughs> like a, it's uh, easier than <laughs> yeah. It's no, it's it's. Um, so we met there. Six years ago, I think actually uh, in, in two weeks. Or so it'll be our six-year anniversary um, from when we met. And um, yeah, uh, that was it was funny because leading up to that, I had been home for a few days. And um, I actually, I would, at that point, I think I had been here uh, yeah, three years. And at that point, I was ready to pack things in and go back to Ireland um, if things didn't look up or had improved, improve, you know. At that time, still looking to improve my job prospects and I was feeling a bit lonely. And I came back and I said, well, if something doesn't improve, next three months, I'm going to move back home uh, to Ireland. And uh, two weeks after that, uh, I met my wife, Heidi. And um, yeah, from then on, things just kind of went yeah, super quick, you know. Uh, we moved in together after three or four months. Um, things just... and everything else kind of uh, around that might, you know, I got a new job like six, seven months later, everything just escalated. And so that was uh, the point where I said, okay, I feel like I've arrived uh, here and I feel at home, you know?
1: And it must've been just incredibly rewarding feeling, realizing just how hard you had worked, some of the some of the obstacles that you had overcome, and then to really start feeling it click, because there's no guarantees in life. You know, you never know. Sometimes you work your ass off, and at the other end of it is not the result that you wanted. Um, I don't know, Adam. You you you're you're good at coming up with the, the meaning of such a thing. What, what do you see in that one?
0: Yeah, no. Um, oddly enough, uh, <clears throat> I had a conversation about this on Friday. Uh, my buddy Matt. You know, I've talked about him a lot on the show. But he called me and was, he said, "Hey man, like, do you remember that one time we were in, um, you know, Albuquerque and we we had uh, this apartment and there was a hot tub there? So we'd go out to like the hot tub and like mix a couple drinks and just kind of talk about life and just vent about everything. And we were talking about how um, we made about." I think it was like $1100 like each month and all of our bills were 1300 and we're just like we're so screwed like how are we going to turn our lives around and you know we were just you know doing the whole like grand scheme of things plan and you know we we just like talked about that moment and then we like realized like hey we are in a completely different like stage of our lives like we are not financially hurting, like we're in jobs and careers that we really like, we have hobbies that we enjoy. And it's like, we actually did it, like we made it. Um, And we just kind of had a little celebration for ourselves that, you know, we're actually like did what we said we would do. And once you kind of look back on that moment, it's just like, you kind of have this like metamorphosis as your person and um just like moving has to you like when you move to another place it's like you have that honeymoon phase and then it's like oh crap uh you know where's my life and then then it kind of sticks and you feel like you feel like you fit in and it's really just like wow like this is my life like it's you kind of turn that page and you start a new chapter and you you're able just to kind of let the past go and accept this new you know phase of your life and i'm sure that new phase of your life um really kicked into gear whenever you had uh your child so i kind of do want to talk <laughs> about that a little bit cuz i am super curious what um i mean that all happened under you know the covid pandemic um was there any like certain restrictions or like any things that happened um that really just kind of was different because for me, I mean, I was in there, my parents were in the other room until they were allowed to come back in. And, you know, we had our moment, our parents were there. Um, I mean, my mother-in-law was one of the first people to see there, I mean, my mom is just a wild woman. I I can say very similar to your mom, um, but when she has our baby, she just walks around and introduces it to everyone in the world. I'm sure it's a very stark contrast to, to what you kind of experienced how was that for you? Was it, um, I mean, obviously it's an emotional time. I mean, I was bawling my eyes out, uh, but yeah, what was like that plus the COVID? Um, how did that balance out for your life? It's, it's like a
2: double-edged sword in some ways. I mean, it was so, I mean, as you say, it's an emotional time anyway. And um, pregnancy, even as uh, the father is really scary and no one ever talked about that before or told me that before, you know, um but i was so concerned for my for my wife you know uh, going into this you know uh, you know she because the worst thing imaginable for for a woman is this this the pain that they have to go through and i was like really concerned and worried and just you know hoping that everyone would be okay and um, for you know it was just before everything really kicked off like hardcore here so, um, we went to the hospital. She had labor uh, contractions a couple of days before we even went to the hospital because they came and went and eventually, when the contractions were like two minutes apart, we went to we raced to the hospital it, thankfully it's only five minutes away. but it was we got there and they put her on the on the table and um, on the table and there was you know these um these midwives and um, there, and they were starting to hook up the machines, chest the baby, check the baby's heartbeat, and all of a sudden, there was the uh, three doctors came in, and two more midwives. There were six of them there, rushing around, talking, uh, kind of arguing, and uh, we were standing there going, hey, "What's going on?" and uh, I just remember hearing the, the, the doctor saying, you know, I need to know what's going on with this now. We need to make a decision. And we just looked at each other like, what is going on?
0: Whoa, and yeah. they were
2: like, well, this is the situation. There's something not quite right with the heartbeat. So if you want a natural birth, we can't guarantee anyone's safety. And we were like, oh, are you kidding? Every, yesterday, we were at the doctor and everything was fine and uh, she said yeah or we do an emergency c-section now and you worst case scenario you get a healthy baby best case scenario you get a healthy baby uh, I'm like okay let's do that and before i knew it she was gone they wheeled her off upstairs to the theater they took me in the bags because i stayed in the hospital with her so i brought bags and they took me somewhere else and you know everything just went by and an hour later the little guy was there you know it was uh, Insane, we didn't have time. We never considered the fact that it might be a, a C section, you know. And we had been told the day before it could take another few days. So, you know, mentally, we weren't, uh, you know, you're, yeah, you know, the 90% prepared, obviously. But for that last bit, you know, it came quicker than we expected initially. Um, and so everything happened so quick, uh, it was uh, really just uh, took a while to compute it all in my own head and and from my wife as well, obviously. Um, And we were lucky. It was just two days before they stopped all visitors to the hospital. And um, three days later, four days later, the whole country went into a lockdown, Um, which was um, quite, yeah, scary. It was really scary, uh, to be perfectly honest about it, because your whole world has just changed. It's upside down. You know, you've got this little, you know, this being that you're now responsible for. So you're adapting to 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 this situation. The whole world, I mean, I went outside during the day to get something in the supermarket and everyone was like buying toilet paper and flour and stuff. And I'm like, oh, what's going on? Uh, this is insane. I mean, you know, I'm in the hospital. It's, you know, you're worried. You know, because my wife is recovering. uh, You're worried about the baby. You know, is he drinking enough? And outside, everyone's going crazy. So there was just so much anxiety. And it was, you know, for a few days, there was, you know, and obviously sleep deprivation. There were highs and lows that I've never obviously experienced uh, before. Uh, It was moments where I just broke down. Like I just thought, this is uh, crazy. And there were moments where I just like, you know, cried out of happiness, you know, just thought this is uh, amazing. I, I wasn't, you know, prepared for this kind of uh, feeling, you know, and um, the, we were there, I think it was the day after the birth, uh, second day after, and we had, get, uh, my wife's parents were there and her brother and that, and the the midwife came in and said, um, there was a nurse actually, came in and said, okay, you have to leave. Everyone has to go. Um, they're shutting down because of the COVID. And um, so that was weird. Then we felt like we were kind of left on our own with the staff who were really nice and very helpful. But at the same time, it's an intense period, you know. And um, after a few days, um, when it was the day after the, the lockdown began. So we had this anxiety about, okay, we want to leave. We want to get back to normal. But there was no normal even at home in a way but everything was different so uh, we were very anxious um, but also you know excited about starting this new stage uh, as a family but uh, it was so it was super scary but also the best thing ever and uh, that takes a while to process
1: it could be the na- i mean basically that's like the, the adventure of life right super scary and you know, enormously joyous. You know, it's like this contrast of life comes almost on a weekly basis, if not a daily basis. And in a certain way, kind of the way you think about life is like very much reflected in how the day is going. You have a great day and you think life is fantastic and you have a shitty day and you think it's the dumps. I'm just wondering from your sake, when you reach the more peak anxiety moments um, with, with what you just described, did you have any way or system that you did to take the pot off the boil? Uh do you just kind of power through it and and or or do you sometimes like have a little a little ritual? Do you go and read? I know reading is a big part of your life. I'm just curious if there are were like little valves uh release valves that you use now when when the anxiety primes up.
2: I think I try and break things down in my head because usually when I get that anxious um it's usually a feeling, something that's built up, you know, uh, even if it's just subconsciously um, over a period of time, whether it's a longer period of time or a shorter period of time. So I try and break things down in my head to make it more manageable so that I don't feel completely um, taken over by it. And start, I usually just control my breathing. And I just say, okay, you know, I'm just feeling anxious now. Maybe because I'm tired, maybe because all this is naturally a lot, which is okay. I mean, everyone has that point where it, it gets to be quite a lot to take. And obviously, somehow your body is going to react in some way. Um, so I would just kind of take a minute and just really try and calm myself down and think of the positive things, concentrate on the things that I, that I can do that are okay. and. Um, Usually, you know now, if it happens its you know it doesn't last quite as long as i as I used to um before, so it's just a case of as a step by step again, you know I kind of block out all the stuff I think that's not important why am I concerned or worried about that now um concentrate on the on the on the things that really are important and then um, so that was the case during that time, you know, and as I said when you're completely exhausted everything is changed everything is upside down so obviously your your mind is going to have you know an adjustment period so to speak I mean we didn't know how it was going to go uh when it would end we still don't um and how it develops so
1: well I mean they they made the correlation I mean science tells us that a really contributing factor for is lack of sleep Mm -hmm. And, you know, I fight that yeah. because I tend to be a person who doesn't get enough sleep. And so if I'm having a shitty day, I don't want to admit that it's probably because I can't get my butt in bed at a decent hour. But there's no doubt when you wake up feeling like you've had a good, refreshing night of sleep, all the stuff that comes in the day feels a little less daunting. And, you know, I've not I've never had a kid. So I don't know what it's like to do the sleep deprived thing. But. Um,
2: yeah, I think yeah, I think.
0: It's rough Albert. It's
2: It's not the easiest thing in the world. So what do
0: you
1: do? I mean, it it must be difficult to not be able to just pop on a, on a plane or your mom to pop on a plane from Ireland and come and see her
2: grandchild. I'm just wondering, is it a lot of just FaceTime and video and, and yeah, we try, we try to do that FaceTime and then, you know, my sister's riding me constantly as well because we're pretty close and, um, you know, it's killing her as well. She can't come over, and my mom and my dad. You know, and we send them videos of the of the little guy, um, and my mom says so, she watches them every evening. And you know, they try and feel a connection because you know they've been denied that period of you know when he's new, a newborn child that um, they get to bond with him as well. Um, I mean, that was the other thing. You know, when we came home with him, um, of course, nobody could visit. And um, even even my wife's family um, couldn't uh, visit so um, because everyone was so cautious about it, you know. So you take your time in, in that sense. And yeah, I mean, it's unusual circumstances. I mean, you, you have to see it as it is. It could be a lot worse, you know. Everyone's healthy. Everyone we know is healthy. So at the same time, you don't want to be um, too egotistical about it um, and get upset by it um but obviously uh, for for me and my, and my family in ireland it's uh, a little bit more it's been a bit more difficult for them but you know they will get to know him and um we're kind of positive uh, regard, eased up a little bit um we've met a few friends and that and who've seen him and been able to take him in their arms Um, so we were concerned that maybe he would be, you know, totally freaked out by going to other people, um, because he'd been just with the two of us for so long, but that turns out actually quite a few people, apparently some people do that. You know, they, when they have a child, they actually shut themselves off for like 12 weeks or something like that from other people.
0: Yeah. Um, my, my wife's culture does that. So she's like three months, no one's it's just us. So I was like kind of say there is like that's kind of common for a few other cultures but you know i definitely know if that's not your you know every day you know you're born into that it's very strange because my mom was telling me stories about how you know whenever i was born you know i went everywhere i was up and down you know i was out in the snow and i'm just like i couldn't couldn't (laughs) yeah Yeah. like (laughs) he's like my precious little baby exactly yeah exactly that's that's so
2: true (laughs) as well yeah We were like thinking, okay, you know, I mean, this was the other side of it being the lockdown. In some senses, we had that anyway. We would have had that period where we weren't going to be doing much anyway. Um, Maybe it gave us more time alone with him and more space. There weren't people coming and visiting, you know, every day, two or three times a day. Um, The only strange thing was at that point was when you would go out to the supermarkets and it was just kind of end of world kind of situation every time you went there not knowing uh, what you were going to get it's so bizarre you know and um, you came back home into the safety of your own family and um, you were just we were happy then you know but uh, just but like you say when you have a child at that then you're you're at home all the time anyway. I want to
1: commend both of you gents because when I uh, fumbled with my mic and it fell on the floor and I don't know. I hopefully I didn't make a horrific sound, but you guys did not like laugh in my face, and I appreciate that you guys continue to talk and didn't like say out loud like <laughs> "look at the bumbling old man who's like having a major meltdown." Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it was hilarious. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, uh, Cal, I have to ask you. It's a total segue moment, but you're surrounded by books mm. behind you. I'm a huge reader. Mm-hmm. I love to read. Could you just give us a very quick, here are some of the authors and some of the types of things I love to read that really, really get me going? Because I'm, I'm a book guy.
2: Yeah, I, I love reading too. And I've just had such a long pause with reading. Um, and I've just started uh, reading, um, where is it? Let me see if I can find it. It's from Haruki um, Murakami, mm-hmm, sure. mm-hmm. Japanese author. Um, Men Without Women um and some of my favorites i really like east of eden by john oh, steinbeck yeah. he's one of my absolute favorites and michael chabon the amazing adventures of cavalier and claire book. and uh i, I think, hear they're
1: making a movie of, um yeah I, I heard that that's gonna really. be a hell of a movie
2: that hopefully yeah steinbeck that is great. a true
1: hero too he briefly at stanford where i went to college and you go out to California and go yeah. visit Monterey and, you know, see Cannery Row and the whole thing. It's Steinbeck. is just such a giant.
2: Yeah, he is. He is. Um I love his books. Uh, amazing. And, and grapes of rice. Well. Amazing. Favorite
1: books. Irish author. Don't say one of the ones that are really hard to read.
2: <laughs> I'm not oh, going to say ah, James ah, Joyce. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I, <laughs> I've never, I've never mastered that either. I, I've, Wanted to, but no. You know what
1: they say, the old, that saying, life's too short for James Joyce. Now I'm going to get the hate
2: now. <laughs> exactly. It, that's, but that is it. Yeah, it is. Um, I don't read a whole lot of Irish authors um, anymore. I have lots of Oscar Wilde Oh, books, Oscar Wilde. Um, classic. Um, it, it's amazing too, when you talk to people about Irish authors, and usually what you hear is, I thought he was English. I thought he was English. Not also Irish. Uh, strangely enough, I don't know. Uh, they had, for some reason, our country produced a lot of really good writers back in the day. But he was the one that um, stuck with me the most.
1: Well, one of the reasons, is clear just from, the, from our conversation with you, is that Irishmen are great storytellers. It's a cliche. That's another cliche. But you, you've done it damn is, good. You're, you've yeah. been great to listen to. But <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about
2: uh,
1: I go, returning to the idea of giants and great people from Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk a little bit about your mom. You know, she had six kids, she powered through it. I asked you uh, you know, in our little pre-interview about some of the subjects and and you uh that you wanted to talk about and you specifically mentioned your mom. I know Adam's got a big thing about about moms and parenting. Uh my myself too, my mom was kind of a heroic figure in my life. Tell us tell us a little bit more about mom. Give her give her a little shout out and tell us a little bit more.
2: (laughs) I'm not just gonna, gonna hear this, but yeah, I mean, obviously from a young age, being the youngest of six, um, the closest to me with my sister is four years older. So they were always, you know, I was, I suppose for a, for a long time, I was kind of, there was them five and then me, if you know what I mean. Um, then I was, uh, kind of on my own close to my mom from, from the start, really, as I said, my dad was working a whole lot. And, um, my mom is a stay-at-home mom, obviously. And we have, yeah, we've had a um, close relationship for a long time. And, you know, because I know everything she went through and the things she did for us um, were things that you, when I think about them now, to be honest, uh, I don't want to have to do those things for my children that she did for us. There were some really, really difficult things. Um you know, uh, so my sisters, one in particular was um, beaten up on a street, you know, um, my mom had to, you know, she dealt with all these things with the police and uh, the court cases. Um, uh, one of my sisters was sexually assaulted. Um, really, just the things you really are a nightmare for a parent to experience. Um, and so there's been a lot of uh, difficult times a lot of dark hours i would say um that you know both my parents have had to come through and as you said you know um they're still together so they had to uh go through that together as well but my mom was the one who usually had to uh, take things in the hand and, um, you know, she had to fight for, 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 for justice for, for, my, for my sister, you know, after this um, case, you know, for the court case, uh, you know, after sexual abuse, just, um, things like that. Um, you just, even now when I say it out loud, it's almost unimaginable. And I was quite young at the time, you know, I mean, you, it's hard to say I understood it at the time, Could the gravity. Of it, I mean, I knew it was crazy, but you until you're a bit older and have that maturity to realize exactly um, what's going on. Have you been able to talk to your mom
1: now about it and say, "Mom, I can't believe what you were able to do"? Or is this something that's
2: really just too, too, too difficult to talk about? No, my mom says if I wrote a book, nobody'd ever believe it. You know, <laughs> that's what she says. You know, uh, it is. It's crazy. She has that kind of humor where she just, you know, says, "Oh, what a crazy house." You know, "Oh, you know, no one would believe me if I if I if I told them this," uh, you know, and um, so. We, mean, we, we do. We do, we can talk about it, and every now and then, when I visit home, and you know, because a lot of these things, you know, happened when I was younger and I didn't quite grasp it. I would sometimes kind of just ask about it again, you know, um, to kind of really see it from a, a the standpoint of not just a fourteen-year-old or a thirteen-year-old, but you know, uh, a grown adult, and especially now uh, as a, as a parent myself. And when you think about these things, um, it's, it's, it's frightening, but, um, and that was one of the things too, where I felt maybe really guilty about moving away to Germany and really selfish because, I mean, my parents are always the case of do whatever makes you happy. You know, as long as you're happy, we're happy. That was their, the thing they just always said. And, um, so when I moved away, you know, they were obviously like, yeah, yeah, I know you have to do it, but don't be afraid to come home, you know, if it doesn't work out and things like that. But I still have, even now, after 10 years, you still live with a bit of guilt about kind of moving away and starting your own life um, away from, from your family home. And um, still feel a bit anxious as also because my parents aren't young anymore. and. You, you consider other things. You know, my dad is 78, uh, my mom is 74, and you think, you hope that today is not the day you get that phone call um, is ill or something's happened. So, you know, these kind of things, uh, there's things I've learned to live with um, in the last few years. Um, But, you know, every time I see them and I talk to them, they're like, yeah, we're fine, happy out. You know, they're they're doing perfectly fine. Uh, it's uh, which is nice and reassuring. And you know, every time I go home, it the time's too short. You know, it doesn't matter from four or five days at home or two weeks. It's uh, it's a short. It's not enough time. But um, you know, it is nice to. I know. She knows I appreciate, I suppose, the things uh, she did for us, um, but uh, it still doesn't mean I shouldn't remind her. Um, yeah, so I do try and I try and um, try and keep in contact as, as much as we can, because she can be just as lazy about giving me a call as I can about calling her. It's you know, but it's 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 all good. You know, you, there are things you just you know live with so to speak
0: yeah uh my parents are the same age as yours so i feel you on that yeah uh huh and it is not yeah i mean but i i i hear the same thing they're out riding bikes you know walking and hiking and they're living great lives and it's just like okay well you know they're happy i'm happy just like you said um but it's kind of like this split between um you know wanting to be a part of your family and like that unit And like your best friends that you grew up with, like, there's like that one kind of phase of your life. And then there's what you're doing right now, living in another country, you know, being married, having a son, you know, there's like that, like other you that's kind of like blooming into who you are right now. So there's always that split where you're just thinking between the two and it's really hard to to get a grasp of that and i think that's something everyone kind of goes through there's like that kind of breaking through moment when it's like okay like there's a clear difference between cal growing up in ireland and cal's life in germany um it's just totally different but you're still the same person you still love the same and you still appreciate the same but i mean it's different um my my buddies sent uh like yearbook photos of us when we were in junior junior our junior year of high school and i was just like oh my gosh we've grown all so much and it's like you know we're double the age now almost you know and you know we've just come through so much and we're just completely different people and i think once you become a parent you really 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 understand you know what's going on inside of your parents head and one thing my mom is always fond of saying to me is, hey, Adam, now you know why we did this. Like, do you get it now? Like <laughs> I, just, I just have to be like, yes, mom. Yes. I was freaking out and being a rebellious teenager. And, you know, I just wanted to go out and, you know, party and, you know, be with friends. Um, so sure. I I get it. I love it. And, you know, that's all just part of, like you said, just life and and how it goes through. And it's, it's so beautiful that we can just reflect back on how how we have it and mm-hmm. like, you know, all of the the fortunate things we had. And, you know, I think all three of our families have gone through their own specific struggles. And, you know, we're coming out better and better. And each generation that we put out, we can take this knowledge and give it to them and just really say, hey, like this is how it is. So I know for you and your son, you're gonna be able to take all that love all that appreciation that you have for such a large family and just pack all that love right into him. So <laughs> I hope he has a wonderful, life uh, yeah,
2: life. It, it is. It's amazing every day. It's like Christmas every day, you know, it's like Christmas as a kid every mm-hmm. day with him, you know, and it's, that's it. You, as you say, you know, you, you try to pack all your own love and experience and everything that you've been through and your parents have taught you going up and you just try and put it all in there to and channel it, you know, uh, he'll, he'll do his own thing anyway I'm sure regardless uh, of what we tell him and um, it, it's funny like you say because you know I'm sure my mum will also uh, my dad will say remind me that's why we did those things and we just yeah. you know me and my wife were talking about it uh, last night how you know imagine now when he's out uh, as a teenager and oh we just the anxiety is already like raising up the you know yeah it's like oh man (laughs) that's but you know that 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 is part of life that's uh you just have to as you say put it out there in the world big kudos to your parents
1: for putting out that motto of what makes you happy that's what makes us happy it's so funny because my mom said that all the time my mom's no no longer with us um but um she always said that if, if it makes you happy but there was one time where she absolutely didn't say that and i have to get it in there cuz i may have told this story to adam already but i'll tell it really briefly but i went to college in california i was a kid from new york city i loved california i fell in love with it i loved everything about it and i decided at senior at the end of senior year i think i'm going to move to california and i went back to new york and i spent the summer with my family and towards about middle of the summer i Said, hey, mom, I've been thinking about it. And I, I think I want to move back to California. I really, I really miss it. I really think that's where I'm supposed to be. And she said, just very calmly, serenely, in her beautiful, very Bronxy way, she said, Albert, my darling son, if you move to California, I'll fucking kill you. <laughs> so that was, that was my mom's, my mom's little spin on whatever makes you happy, darling son. You probably be, would have been okay. But it it became like the great story of our life. And truth is staying back in New York gave me a chance to pursue the career that I have promoting classical music, which would have been a lot harder out, out West. But anyway, that was, it was a, a huge joke. I always tell that. <laughs> when, when yeah when, when people that's, complain yeah, about their parents putting too good. much pressure on them like i'm like get, i i knew what pressure was like anyway uh cal you um are as we expected because you know i i you've been a friend uh you are charming and wonderful and you tell great stories and we're really glad that you made time for us uh on this no problem. and we're just going to ask if you don't mind Thank being the, the first. We get some complaints about how unpronounceable the name of this podcast is, so we want to we want to put you we want to make you the first to take the podcast name challenge. Uh, tell us the name of the podcast you just appeared on is
2: Via <laughs> Vulnerables. Via.
1: Okay, a little trip. A little is that trip. right? You got it. <laughs> Sounds a bit German. <laughs> I mean, forget what Adam said. This is the name of our new podcast. <laughs> I was like, you're kidding, right, Adam? But I think it's, it's going to stick. It is good. Anyway, uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll have you back on down the road. You're, you're amazing, Cal. And hope, hopefully this virus will pass and, and one of us will be on a plane uh, coming to see the other. We had the best time when you came to New York. It would be so great to see you again.
2: Thank you very much for asking.
1: Adam, you want to uh, say anything before we close up?
0: Yeah, you know, um, I can't wait to do my my second Euro trip. And I feel that now that we've uh, interviewed so many other people in the, the Denon community out there, I feel like I'm just going to have like a world tour, you know, through everything. And like, yeah. it's just going to be, hey, I'm showing up in your city. <laughs> <would be> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Cal, it has been a pleasure talking to you. And I, I truly appreciate you, you sharing all of that. And you know, I just got to say much love to you and your family because, you know, you've started a journey that is, you know, it's uh, 18 years and then uh, the rest your yeah. life. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I got to remember that. I'm going to tell my wife that now. She's not going to be impressed.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Thank you so All much. Right, guys. Well, Thank you guys for asking me on too
0: appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been another episode of the Veer Vulnerabilis Veer podcast. I'm Adam Glinsky. I'm Albert Imperato.
2: I'm Kyle Geary.
0: Thank you for listening.